live from the Bunkhouse Saloon in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Bunkhouse! And it's not like it's unusual, and it's not like it's hap not happened before in this country, but we've kind of hit a point where our ability to disagree with each other has become stunted. We can't even get to a point where we can agree to disagree, because we immediately go to ad hominem attacks, we immediately feel disrespected if somebody disagrees with our opinion. We go with, here's a little bit of fact to fuck you in the eye with a knife. That's where we go. We don't know how to argue anymore. And it is arguable that Donald Trump ushered this in, but Donald Trump is really more the symptom than he is the cause. Because we were already headed this way or he would not have gotten elected with his bullshit about low energy jab and you know, all that shit. That, we bought that, the country, at least half of us, bought that hook, line, and sinker. So we were ready for this shit. We don't know how to argue. Tonight is special though. Bug House, just like in the old days of Washington Square Park in Chicago where they got on soapboxes and would argue the issues of the day. Bug House, come on in. Bug House is an opportunity to hear persuasive debate by very funny and interesting people. They don't get to yell at each other. This isn't on Facebook. Each performer has seven minutes to convince you of their side of an argument that they did not get to choose, and they didn't get, they didn't get to choose anything. That's what makes it the art of the dialectic. Each one of these people was handed a topic and handed the side of the topic they have to debate whether they believe in it or not. The first one that we will see tonight is philosophical. Humanity, destiny, or free will? If it's destiny, are we just endlessly in a cycle of repeating ourselves? Are we locked into our choices and our choices are predetermined? Or free will, do we actually get to make changes and as we make those changes, do those changes take effect? That's the question. It will be debated by Eric Lewin and Matthew Munoz. Uh, all right, I hate to disappoint everyone right off the bat and reveal that uh, I am not, in fact, a god. <laughs> so maybe I have to admit that all the dumb shit I did was a product of free will. I have to live with the time that I made edible space cake for 20 people without telling anybody. Free will's a bitch. I have to live with the time when I was a kid on the bus to school and this little girl, Gabriella, was always the first one dropped off and her mom would come out of the house to come and get her. It wasn't my destiny to moon Gabriella's mother. I decided to drop trow and let my 11-year-old ball sack swing out of that bus window 
I wanted this poor girl's mother to accept this gift that I freely gave. Now, it might have been Gabriella's mother's destiny to see my scrotum. I can't say. I can only speak to my first-hand experience. But this, of course, raises significant ontological questions. I will say that if my action was not free will, then destiny is a sick son of a bitch, Don. I'd hate to think it was my destiny to shit my pants on a first date at dinner. But again, I freely drank that third espresso. So in essence, I created my own destiny. I have a friend in the adult toy business. This is true. And I, he offered me, I could have made millions, all right, selling cutting edge dildos internationally. And I wrestled with this. I thought, oh God, it's millions, you know, what am I supposed to do? And, and I, I did some soul searching. And I asked myself, you know, I went all the way back and I said, well, when I was a kid and they asked me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I know that I never said make strap-ons. <laughs> I never dreamt that one day my signature bead would be up someone's asshole. <laughs> And so I walked away from the millions, ladies and gentlemen, to tell a few dick jokes to 12 people. And I figured it just was some comfort. It just wasn't my destiny to sell dildos. That's fine. And speaking of penis, I'm Jewish. And after birth, immediately, there's a circumcision. Now that is a decision I did not make. I would have liked to. And by the way, the guy that performs the circumcision is not a surgeon. He's like a rabbi on a side hustle. Like, it's an online course in foreskin. Like, he picks up off of some, like, DeVry or some shit. So that was not my free will. And incidentally, what's wrong with a handshake and a warm titty? I don't, I don't know. The first ritual is to sacrifice your force I don't know is to sacrifice your foreskin that what an odd way to identify your tribe like, hey man is your dick clipped too yeah I, yeah I like cream cheese on bagels you want to go and... so chalk up another one for destiny is what I'm trying to say um, here's another one if you've suffered from depression uh, like I have in your life um, I have to admit, it's, it's chemical, you know? Uh, you don't feel down. People say, oh, you're down, this, that. You don't feel down because that movie theater hand job you were expecting didn't happen. You don't feel down because you have a nasty panty wedgie you can't pick. No, you were made that way. <laughs> so the good news is you're just naturally a prick. <laughs> And it can be quite isolating because, you know, people don't initiate help, right? 
Like, I tried to do that once. I, I went up to this person I know. I said, man, I said, you know, you look like you're really suffering with this depression. And, and he said, what the fuck are you talking That's just my personality. <laughs> so, it's tempting to chalk off your bad decisions to destiny, I know. But destiny isn't really a better option than accepting your own shitty decisions. Like, hey, it wasn't my fault. It was out of my hands to not wear a rubber, drop out of high school, and suck dick for crack. That was my destiny all along. That was just God's plan. It's not a much better option, really. But a free will at least leaves hope. Like, yeah, I've been a hopeless fuck for 40 years, but there's always tomorrow. You know? So in the end, to summarize this <laughs> melange, there's an infinite blending of conditions flowing in and out of all human circumstance, leaving actions and results without a trace. The Big Bang occurred and continues to moment by moment, continuously, a cosmic orgasm. God is constantly ejaculating us into existence and we are free to enjoy our destiny. Thank you, America. Eric Lewin, and now the counterpoint, Matthew Munoz, give him a hand, come on. Sorry, Eric, that you had to suck a dick for a uh, crack and uh, God ejaculated on the... Or that that's what you thought was the, the thing that needed to happen. <laughs> Fuck, I think I left my piece of paper on the top of that piano over there. But, uh... Destiny or free will? I'm on the side of destiny. And... Um, <laughs> What I want to just start off with at the top is that uh, I'm not talking about predeterminism and I'm not talking about fatalism. Those are different concepts. What I'm talking about is that thing that whispered into Steven Spielberg's ear when he decided to drop out of film school and make some of the greatest movies of all time. Maybe, maybe not. But, and I'm also talking about what uh, made these super coders believe in that uh, I actually did find my piece of paper. In my destiny life, <laughs> I'm just fucking with y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Bill Gates working seven days a week without stopping, while eating tang from can because he didn't want to stop coding Microsoft Excel spreadsheets that you fucks use every goddamn day. I'm talking about 
when the Muppets took Manhattan. I'm talking about what made Steve Martin so great they couldn't ignore him. Obviously, these are extraordinary people. It's easy for the majority of people that aren't living in or who have never felt the pull of destiny in their lives. I mean, I think that maybe you've felt this in your life before. There's a little spark that you may have felt, maybe a little piece of inspiration that you had probably ignored at some time in your life. But uh, you try to drown it out with those, because of societal pressures. Getting away from the speaker right now. Wait, maybe that microphone right there. I don't know which. But uh, you probably, if you really thought about it, if you really followed your destiny, you would have started that YouTube channel. You would have started that project you were ignoring all this time. You would have uh, went to medical school. You would have went to that meeting with that producer that you thought that you should have met. You felt like you should have, but you had to go to work. You probably shouldn't have thrown that fight. I could have been a contender. So we distract ourselves with television, drown out the dreams with alcohol, online dating, tried to point the finger at somebody or something. All the while taking this endless scroll through our Instagram feed. Because Instagram is a very fucking powerful thing. And destiny comes in the form of inspiration. When we're living in the path of our destiny, we're in the line of our spirit. Inspiration means the spirit within. I think we all know when we are living within our spirit. Spirit, you separate to the word inspiration. Spirit is in the word inspiration. We're living within it. Just to further make the discernment between destiny and fate, I take the example of the anthropoformic egg, Humpty Dumpty. It was his fate to fall off of that wall to his uncertain death. Because gravity got the better of him. Um, yeah, I know he's a goddamn fairy tale. But his story mirrors the lines of most of all in this room. And um, you know, I don't think Maybe we've all never heard of John Barrymore, but he considered one of the great actors of his time and great-grandfather to Drew Barrymore, who was in one of Steven Spielberg's movies called E.T. And uh, he once said, a man is not finished until his regrets take the place of his dreams. I've lived in regret for uh, the majority of my life, and um, I understand this all too well. For as long as I can remember being a conscious human, I remember wanting to be a tennis player and a comedian. A tennis player, comedian, if you will. Both. My idols were Andre Agassi and Bill Murray. I know I wasn't going to be Andre Agassi, but I just wanted a fucking chance to compete. But if you're not going to be a, you're not going to be a goddamn tennis champion. If you're not on the path to be a tennis champion by the time you're ten, you're not going to, you're not going to get there. So. I realized I was on the path of And it was when I took this dump that was so big 
It changed the course of human events, as we know it. I tilted the toilet. And uh, it was almost as if it was like destined to happen that it would come out in a full piece. And it, it was like, wow, I really need to follow what has just happened right now. And literally after that day, I, would, I honestly have green lights everywhere I go. I find a parking spot in the front space everywhere I go. I don't pay for parking. I literally never do since that dump. I've never had to. Even today, right now, you'll see my car parked right there. It's a very beautiful Volkswagen. And uh, since that day, and that gigantic dump I took, majestic dump, it was like, wow. Uh, let me get you back to this, uh, let, let me, let's take it back to Kermit the Frog, right? I told you about the when the Muppets took Manhattan. They got to Manhattan. And they were fucked over by this guy that fucking lured them to Manhattan. This motherfucker was like, they were like, hey, we're gonna put on your Broadway show. And like, Kermit went there with all his homies, went there with fucking, uh, fucking piggy, whatever. Fucking fat bitch, whatever. I don't know, whatever. She had a big butt. It's fine. And uh, they were about. To, they were. They were planning to go all there. They were going to put on a show, and they were like, "Hey, man, we got all these expectations and things, and this fucking swindler, swindler, out of other things." And uh, they get to Manhattan, and they were like, "No, that guy's a con man. Uh, that guy doesn't have money for you to uh, put on your Broadway show." So. The fucking Muppets got together and they're like, you know what, fuck this shit. Kermit the Frog was like, yo, man, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm gonna go to every goddamn producer in this town. Miss Piggy had the fucking wake tables. She's a goddamn zillionaire. She's the fucking Joan Rivers of her time. She is a fucking zillionaire. And she was waiting tables. And the only thing that they needed to inspire them to reach their dreams was one song, one glorious goddamn song called I Can't Take No For An Answer. And if I just had 30 seconds more, I would sing this entire song for you. I would sing the fucking uh, Led Zeppelin version of this fucking song for you people. But, uh, You know, the funniest thing about that is right before the show, uh, Matthew, the last time we did the show, had a, a similar problem. Uh, and that I rang the bell multiple times to let him know seven minutes were long past over. And he, he looks at me, he says, no, no, I get it. I get it. I, you're timing it. Seven minutes. I got it. I got the seven minutes this time. We'll point that out. I don't know if that adds to or subtracts from the debate. And as Jarrett pointed out to me, I'm pretty sure we never saw a Muppet's ass. I'm pretty sure that that is not possible. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out. All right. Do you have any questions for either Eric 
or Matthew or both of them about destiny versus free will and reverb. A lot of reverb. Anybody? Right there. I can't see shit. All right, yes. I just, I can't, I can't. I can't understand the argument unless you sing the song. Did you sing the song? All right, Matthew's gonna sing. Matthew's gonna sing 20 seconds of the song. Yeah, 20. 20 seconds of the song. Please sing the whole thing. Whenever there's a dream worth a dreaming, dreaming. Whenever you got stuff you gotta do, do. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. All right, very good. Excellent. Give him a hand. Eric, do you have something you want to sing? No. Okay, got it. Any other questions for our gentleman? I guess from the judge. All right, this is a question from the yeah, judge. A couple questions for Eric. Uh, Eric, have you won any of these? Have you ever won? Have you ever won a bug house? I, I don't think so. <laughs> and can I, can just for clarification, can I ask what side you were arguing on? <laughs> So were you arguing in favor of destiny or free will? I, I think I was arguing both sides, but that free will came out on top of that. So ultimately he was ultimately, at the end of the day, he was arguing free will. Free will. Yeah. On top of a giant banana split of destiny. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly how it would, a banana split of destiny. Yes. Any other questions? Donald Hickey. Who won? Well, I would, I would say, uh, with the help of Eric, Matt, clearly, is like... Second topic, a little more timely. Yes, in Literate Ape, we do do timely things. Gun control, detente or disarmament? And this will be debated by Jared Keene and Pearson Brown. I'm gonna read a micro-fiction to you, a short, short story. It's called Joker. He was a part-time instructor in the English department at a community college in Phoenix, teaching five sections of composition, and he spent many hours, too many really, on the internet browsing liberal and progress progressive websites at home, and in the cubicle he shared with two other teachers. When he was bored and feeling uneasy about his life, he would click on an article documenting the ongoing abuse of immigrants, the looming catastrophe of climate change, and the ease with which anyone in the U.S. could buy a gun. The latter crisis troubled him the most. He signed every gun control petition and donated via PayPal to every anti-NRA movement he could find. He had a daughter in high school, and the thought of a little monster with an AR-15 murdering her filled him with helpless rage. Every semester, we had at least one male student in his classes who seemed off, silent, alone, emanating hostility. He had one now, in fact, a student routinely wearing a Joker shirt, ill-fitting jeans, busted sneakers. During his interactions with the student, he felt divided. 
His instinct was to look the incel directly in the eye and exert his status as the dominant male presence. For an adjunct faculty member, he was unusually athletic. He loved playing sports as an adolescent. But after reading sociological arguments that reduced athleticism to a social construct, he had decided years ago to bury that part of himself. Better to step aside and allow women and trans athletes to shine in the spotlight of physical competition for a change. Who needed another white man playing club sports well into his 40s? So he ignored his instinct and opted to try to be friendly and nurturing with the problematic student who adored mass murdering comic book villains. He was nagged with frustration, of course, when the student scoffed at his effort to exude mindfulness as if the student were repulsed by warmth and solicitude. So whenever he stood at the lectern or moved from small group to small group, he monitored the student from the periphery of his vision, evaluating the student's posture for signs of malevolence. He didn't know why he did this. It had to be instinctual. If he saw something, he would say something. He would alert someone in, was it the Office of Student Condu Conduct? Yes, that's, that was it. He would let the women in that office know something serious was afoot, if it came to that. They would know how to deal with the challenge. Keeping women informed made him feel good about himself for having indulged his instincts. After class, exhausted from having guided first-year students in writing thesis-driven essays all morning, he would bicycle home so his wife could drive the Prius and look at <laughs> online porn. He was married, which meant he watched a lot of porn. He was married to a feminist, which meant he watched a shit ton of cuckold porn. Scenarios in which a white guy would observe helplessly as one or more black guys pounded his wife into a series of orgasms and then ejaculate on her face. He couldn't help but feel guilty and ashamed. His instinct was to stop viewing porn, to stop fretting about politics, and instead spend his time lifting weights, eating chicken, and learning how to fight with his hands. But his instincts, he knew from what he read in the academic literature, were ingrained toxic behaviors, cultural norms associated with harm to society and to men. Porn was fine, though. He never understood it properly, but he'd read that women who worked in the adult industry were empowered. How they felt this way after being treated so badly, he couldn't exactly figure. Still, if the performers didn't have to have an issue with it, why should he? He disappointed himself, however, by never achieving a boner with plus-size female adult performers rolling around on the screen. It made him feel like a misogynist. His, pe you like that? His penis refused to respond positively to, well, body positivity. All right, I, I, I got myself in that. All that aside, why should he focus on adding slabs of muscle to his aging frame? Right, the dad bod was what women claim to admire according to liberal culture sites like HuffPo. Uh, right, what, what, what woman in the world wouldn't want to fuck Seth Rogen? The Hollywood actor hated Trump too and preached gun control which made Rogen extra sexy to women. So again, he ignored his instincts and made a mental note to go for a jog after dinner. After impregnating one of his socks, he dropped it into the hamper and ate a vegan cookie with soy-based protein. <laughs> he would do the laundry and dishes now. Sure, his instinct was to hire someone to handle these simple chores so he could finish writing a book and launch himself into a tenured position, but his wife, a celebrated sociology professor, had written three books on the importance of chore play. 
wives rewarding husbands with sex after they complete household duties. He didn't want to exploit an immigrant in any case, or maybe he was supposed to give an immigrant a job. They were risking their lives to enter the U.S., right? I mean, wasn't he obliged to exploit them, to honor their peril, to compensate them for being terrorized by ICE? Weary from pretzeling his brain, he went back to his computer and used the other sock to rub one out. Fine. He'd do 10 push-ups after his jog as penance. Okay, fine. Before asking Alexa to Spotify Radiohead and pouring eco-friendly liquid detergent into the washer, he read a gun violence survivor's heartbreaking story and used his credit card to buy out an entire screen of the new Joker movie to prevent the potential for a mass shooting. His wife would love the idea, he imagined. Sometimes, though, it was a horrible thing to admit he fantasized about protecting these survivors by taking out the gunman with a gun of his own, arriving in time to stand between the victims and the shooter quickly and efficiently bringing down the bastard with an expert shot. As a Boy Scout in the 80s, he had earned a marksmanship merit badge for rifle shooting. He remembered how proud his father had been kissing his brow in a rare moment of, of affection. But the Scouts were a lost cause, for years banning atheists and homosexuals from positions of leadership. Clearly, by adopting these evil prohibitions, the organization had nothing good to offer to anyone. He felt ashamed for having grown up learning how to camp, cook over a fire, and shoot. He felt ashamed for entertaining the fantasy of saving people from being shot by shooting the shooter. That never happened in real life. He'd watched too many John Wayne, Schwarzenegger, and Stallone movies with his father. He washed and folded three loads of laundry and washed the dishes by hand to conserve water. He boiled gluten-free pasta and sauteed vegetables and covered them. Meat would only enhance his family's carbon footprint. Waiting for his wife and daughter, he sat at the computer and clenched his unshaven jaw out how long it had taken Nancy Pelosi to initiate impeachment proceedings. His family arrived in the aid and discussed the anti-bullying campaign at his daughter's magnet school for the arts. Later that evening, after his jog and a shower and Netflix, he spooned his wife in bed, but she was exhausted from having assembled her promotion binder. <laughs> he did his five push-ups next to the bed as she read a book by Rachel Maddow, the cat sleep purring between her legs. The next day, his classroom was a nightmare of blood. The masked shooter in black fired a single burst at his students, splintering the lectern, shredding the projection screen, before moving on to the next classroom. The student in the Joker shirt's jaw looked like it had been cracked open with an axe. The poor kid struggled to say something to his professor, but the words were unintelligible. The professor's impulse had been to throw his body over the student, but he was out of shape and didn't reach the boy in time. His next impulse had been to reach for his own weapon and hunt the Nazi motherfucker through the halls and euthanize him like the rabid animal he was. But the professor was a 21st century American liberal male in a gun-free zone where every lunatic except him had a weapon. He disarmed himself against his instinct for survival and the protection of others. He'd left it up to HR and the lawmakers, and now his classroom floor was gore-slit. The red flag laws didn't help him. The safe storage laws didn't help him. The assault ban didn't help him. The FBI didn't help him. The billions in anti-domestic terrorism surveillance in Arizona didn't help him. There was no law and no one to help him. And he didn't help himself, had never tried. He'd done nothing to prepare. He'd barely completed five push-ups. He'd bought seats in an empty movie house, somewhere the killer wasn't. And so he kissed the student's brow as the boy died in his arms.
good. Yeah, that. All right. Yeah, yeah. Come on, you give him more love than that. Yeah. Rough the gear, but quality goods. Let's bring up in the counterpoint, Pearson Brown. Come on. That was that was a beautiful story. That was just great words. Uh, very visual. I mean, that was, yeah, they were really great words. I'm, uh, I don't really have that kind of symbolism or imagery, but I wanted to think about it with some sort of, like, common sense stuff. And, uh, I wanted to talk to the real Americans tonight about gun control. Um, I don't really want to talk to people who already want gun control, who don't want guns any round. I want people who, you know, eat hamburgers and give a shit about, like, having a Second Amendment right. I want to talk about, like, you know, fucking gun people. Um, so if you're, like, super liberal, you can go grab a drink or, like, piss or whatever, smoke a weed. Um, couple trigger warnings if you are a liberal who's gonna stay. Uh, guns. Violence. Uh, genitalia, uh, suicide. So, Merriam-Webster describes guns as cool as shit. And scientifically, if you have a gun, you do have a big dick. That's, that's just science. Uh, it is, but guns are too simple. I, I think they're too easy, and I think that what guns do and what people do with guns really separates them from any sort of meaning. And so what I think is that if we have gun control, it means that murder will mean something again. <laughs> now, I know that a lot of people are going out and like, you know, killing people for very specific reasons despite the media saying they aren't. But at the end of the day, do any of these people feel better? Do any of these people think like their, their lives are any better? Have they solved any of the issues? I don't think so. And I think we need to make murder actually mean something. Because <laughs> violence isn't going away because of guns. Violence isn't, it, we're still gonna have people wanting to be violent, but we need to change the violence to actually have a positive outcome. And, uh, like, everybody's like, murder's wrong, but like, we all want to murder somebody. Everybody knows somebody that deserves to die. I don't know a single person who's like, oh yeah, Osama was pretty cool, hell yeah. I don't think he should have died, like, uh, fucking, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I, I think that in a gun-filled world, too many people are gonna, too many innocent people are gonna die not the people who deserve to die. And uh, so I couldn't, I, I was trying to think of like, what, what, what are the reasons that a gunless world would be better than a gunful world? And I couldn't think of one. So I thought of like six. Uh, first of all, let's start with number one. Uh, fucking guns are kind of fucking lame. Like, like, I love shooting guns, they're fun. It's fucking very powerful, but, like, guns are kind of for pussies. Like, like, 
if you beat the shit out of someone with your hands, that's fucking manly. You just you just touched another man with your fist. That's good. You got his fluids on you. Fucking manly. Knives. That's like that's way more phallic than a gun. And like if guns are about, you know, big penises, as science suggests, fucking swords. It's an even bigger penis. And I I mean fucking easy. Uh the second, the second one. Uh this one might be a little sore subject because of tomorrow, but like that wouldn't have been able to happen. Like even if he had a fucking crossbow, like <laughs> he couldn't have fucking shot that many people. Uh, he couldn't have, yeah, unless you're like a master swordsman, but like in the, in the population we got, there'd be so many fucking master swordsmen. Like so many dudes have enough time for that. It's fucking wild. Uh, and before anybody says like, what about bombs? Like, we all know bombs are just a lot of guns. Fucking, <laughs> duh. Uh, I think we can all agree that kids today are fucking, you know, lazy and entitled. And, uh, oh, that's not the right one. Damn it. I knew there was a third one. My bad, y'all. Murder should take a little bit of work. It should be kind of hard. Like, you should have to try a little bit. Like, fucking, it's wild that you think you can just, like, shoot someone and then they're dead. But why wouldn't you want to actually put a little effort into that? And I think, I think these fucking selfish kids need to put a little work. Maybe if they spend a little time actually developing some skills on how to murder another person, they might have some valuable skills. I mean, we got the military. So, my next point is, uh... I've read a lot of these manifestos, cause why not? I got a lot of free time, I don't do nothing. Uh, and every one of them talks about loneliness and how lonely they are. And can, can you imagine not touching another person for years? Not feeling the warmth of human skin? That's fucking brutal, yo. Like, fucking. So the next thing we would solve is fucking male isolation and loneliness. Cause so like, picture this. You and a dude uh, fucking having like a little tiff, a little battle, and fucking, you're gonna go up to him, you're gonna shoot him, things over. But if you naked groom up Greco-Roman wrestle him, you just made a new friend because you showed him a new grip. You come out with one more friend, one less death. I think that's pretty positive. And they'll finally get to touch another person. So, <laughs> works for everybody. Instead of, uh, you know, shooting up people that actually have to deal with their emotions in a way that is still very masculine, but still very aggressive and mean. Now we're getting to something a little heavier. Suicide would be a lot harder. Like, I don't really have a lot of jokes for this one, because, uh, I don't know, that feels a little, uh, a little shitty. Um, but, it would be. Fucking, people wouldn't be able to just pop, pop, you're out. You'd actually have to take the time to get the pills, or make the news, or fucking stab yourself. Have you ever tried to stab yourself? It's fucking hard. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> It fucking takes a lot of like resilience to stab yourself. And I, 
don't know about you, but as a depressed person, I don't want to go out the same way that a toddler accidentally did. And we have a lot of toddlers shooting themselves. It's fucking wild. Like, look at, look at, look at the stats on that. Also, toddlers are fucking weak as shit. Without guns, they could never. Like, fucking, they can't hold a katana. They can't punch. Like, fucking, they won't be able to do it. Lastly, because I want to talk to the real gun people. I don't want them to tread on me. And without guns, they can't fucking tread on us. Because, like, right now, they got a lot more of the technology. But we got a lot more of the people. If we go sword to sword, punch to punch, we can take out the government. Now, if you really believe in, like, no, you, you, the government fucking sucks. Like, no guns. The government won't have guns either. All I'm saying is, we can still get cool shit to fr show our friends how big our dicks are, and we can, we can still do, uh, you know, violence on other people who deserve it and have wronged us. Like, is our right as Americans. But we can also solve the problem of male loneliness without, you know, murdering children all the time. Or like, you know, old people at a fucking bean festival. Uh, all I'm saying is, even if the soy dude from the last time did have a gun, it probably wouldn't have solved nothing. Like, he still would have got shot. Like, he's a soy boy. Uh, Fucking A. That's it. All right, Tracy Brown. Derek King, come on up here, Derek. Oh, what? Put it over here. Could you hand that up for me? All right, do we have any questions for either of our debaters about gun control? Did no, I'm going to need this chair. Or disarmament. Any questions? Yeah, where? Get it. Um, you seem pretty familiar with Webster's person. Do you know how Webster's defines soy boy? Uh, yeah. Because I'm like, not sure I'm familiar with that. Uh, it's like a boy who eats soy. <laughs> I'll accept that answer. Sure. Any other, any other questions? <laughs> All right, bring your question. I don't know how to put it so Who's it to? Never mind. I'll wait. I'll wait. What's the question? Oh, it might be too brutal. Ask the question. No, ask the question. Brutal. Roast me. I'm not like a redneck because I hate fucking, I hate America. I'm a United States Patriot. I do want a lot of fucking pistols. Hell yeah. So I, just, I did shoot a motherfucker one time. She was trying to shoot at me. And it wasn't in the military or anything like that. Since I lived out here, I had a dude almost cut my fucking head off with a sword and was walking home with a gallon of milk and some fucking bagels and some donuts. Hell yeah. At 6 in the morning, I thought there would be a red buff fight, and there never was. Sure glad I have a pistol on me that day, because I did have to discharge two rounds of that motherfucker. The dude was so high, I actually had to like, talk a couple out like this and say, this is a real this goddamn gun. So at the same time, so. too, I mean, I'm just an average white guy. My dick's, like, not the hugest, but it ain't small. I don't get complaints. If you didn't have a gun, you'd be better at swords. And I can wait to do I'm really good at swords, too. I play pool professionally, so I can wing those things all over the place. should have had your sword. I'm getting a little older. I'm not going to go chase this motherfucker. But at the same time, too, I don't, I'm just really happy that day when I was walking home getting my bagels and my milk and six And I had that pistol on me because that dude was trying to fuck with me. But I'm trying to fuck with him. And I'm not lonely either, even though I do got a cat at home. 
There you go. All right. So what's the question? Like, how do you think it's that bad of a deal, though, for like, I'm not a psychopath, and I'm like, I said, like, I'm a little dick thing. Sounds a lot like a manifesto. All right, let me see if I can sum it up. Pearson, the gentleman is not lonely because he's got a cat. He's got an average to larger sized dick. He has swordplay, but he still likes his guns. What do you say? I don't know you, but... If I was comfortable with my penis and not lonely and was good with swords, I probably wouldn't have told everyone in the room. Okay, there you go. All right. There you go. He sits down when he takes a piss, and this is good. I'm not sure how it's relevant, but it has it has as much relevant Matthew Munoz as the Muppets' asses. So. Donald Dickey. Oh, we get another question? Yeah. Bring it. What's up? Uh, that would be to Pearson. Yes, sir. Gun control. I'm for gun control. But gun control came uh, primarily out of California because the black people armed themselves. So what would you say for people, usually minorities, who are persecuted by the police on a daily basis, who feel that who feel that they should arm themselves against somebody with bigger forces, aka whether it's the state. I'll give you two answers for that. I'll give you my serious answer, and then I'll give you my character answer. Okay? <laughs> serious answer? All for arming like, you know, uh, groups that are fucking oppressed by the government because as long as the government has guns, we need to have guns. Bingo. Fucking duck. But in character response, uh, the government wouldn't have guns, they'd have swords. So like fucking no problem. Yeah. All right, fair enough. All right, that's three questions. Donald Hickey, who wins this argument? Uh, detente or disarmament? I gotta say, this was a very, very emotional yeah. and entertaining uh, battle between you guys. Uh, however, it equally so was one of the most piss poor fucking arguments. I, Jared Keene, as, as passionate as it was, your your thing today was as bad as my writing when I worked for you at the fucking city. It was garb, like what? Like there was no, there was like you guys just ran around the issue. Can we get a double? Like, can we? Can, is there a disqualification? Like, You're the judge. You know it's up to you. I mean, I don't think anyone really whipped their dick out since we're all focused on dick. Nobody whipped their dick out today. Like, it, it's like going to an orgy. And nobody comes. Like. Donald Mickey, you were saying that no one wins this argument. No, I think this is a, this is a zero to zero tie in overtime. All right, Donald Hickey is the judge, and that is the thing. I like it because it has the thing. But give them both a hand anyway. And our third topic. I think maybe might be more timely than even gun control is self-help. Which is better, sex or chocolate? <laughs> and that will be debated <laughs> by Janine Del Grosso, Grosso and Dana Germany. Greetings, wise and musing judge. 
and fellow purveyors of truth. I am in possession of an early and distinct memory of running around my grandparents' house on Easter holiday, high AF on chocolate. I've most likely been given one too many Cadbury cream eggs, and the increased blood flow to my brain combined with uh, heart palpitations surged over me like feisty buzz on a power line. During about lap five, I stopped and stood in front of a hallway mirror and cackled at my own reflection, like someone mad. <laughs> and then made another laugh. And my grandfather finally intervened, grabbing me up in hopes I wouldn't bonk myself on a kitchen table corner and end up spraying blood all over his house. So the what this really says is full kid logic kicked in, and I understood for the first time. Chocolate was a kind of liberation because, in addition to tasting great, it translated into relentless physical power. The spin of sugar and sweetness leaving me prepped with raw energy and an appetite or destruction. <laughs> Thanks about chocolate. It's a fruit, y'all. It comes from the roasted and brown cacao seed, one time so valuable it was used as currency. The first consumption of which dates to over 4,000 years ago in Mexico, the dweller's early word for chocolate translating into bitter water because they drank that shit, mainlined it. Humans at first arguably made faster and more direct connection to the pleasure-giving principles of chocolate and easy ingestion than they did to sex and its outcomes. Its stature, of course, is an iron and antioxidant-rich trans-fat-free food only came to be appreciated much later. Maybe around July 7th to 11th, which is World Chocolate Appreciation Week. Mark your calendars. Okay, so going back to the sex angle, have you ever been publicly shamed, embarrassed, or arrested for eating chocolate? Unless you at one time climbed naked into the chocolate fountain inside the Bellagio, the answer is no. Chocolate needs no cuddling or words of encouragement when it can't get it up. Because at this point, we're all talking about penises on this show. I don't know how I'm it is instead a one-way, all-giving ticket to improved memory, problem-solving, reaction time, and visual acuity. It is straight-up superhero food. The Aztecs thought hot chocolate had magical powers, and guess what? They're not wrong! Sex can be surprisingly complicated, even as it often contains fewer ingredients than chocolate, where initially, sex is often quite forgettable. The love affair we maintain with chocolate is ever evolving. Think of the first time you were introduced to ganache or a well-made mousse. Even an accomplished cookie for pizza. The euphoric recall is wash in other tastes, but nothing really rallies all senses to the cause like rich, balanced, good old-fashioned chow coolie. Alas, the uh, only folks who get off this self-help train right here, 
completely are those who are allergic to chocolate. Wah, wah. And dogs. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, chocolate makes dogs ill. Uh, but if you somehow find yourself allergic to both chocolate and sex, and dogs, um, then I sure hope that you are not allergic to alcohol, because uh, you're going to need a drink bunch, tip your bartender. Because your frigid diabetic ass isn't allergic to rope, I hope too, because God help you, you're going to need to hang yourself. Uh, maybe you can unwind a little in a nice warm bath before you open up your veins. Just eat some chocolate anyway before you do that, though, because if God hates you that much, you should stand to go out doing some madman routine like I did. Like, <laughs> so. We're coming up on the chocolatiest, chocolorific holiday next to Christmas time and Valentine's. Trick or treat of chocoween. And this it really is for whom chocolate is truly made for. Those young at heart, playful, booty flirts who are tired of all the high-strung control, bored with being complicated, who reach instead for the fine simplicity of breezy passions in day-to-day -day life. Or just your average serotonin freak. Whatever. That's, uh, that's all a little bit of us, right? The entire time I've been standing up here next to my companions, my menage a trois, these well and familiarly branded bags of individually wrapped joy. I can feel the waves of anticipation coming at me from all of you. I mean, the humidity in the room has risen about 10% from all the salivating. Naturally, I would have shared this bounty at the top before I got started, but then I risk rendering you deaf, enslaving you, damaging your ability to perceive anything else but its uniquely salacious deliciousness. But now, the great equalizer between antidepressant and aphrodisiac stalks close like a flavanol-filled lover readies to seduce with its luscious, toothsome pheromones. And now to be outdone, in favor of sex, Janine Del Grosso, give her a hand, come on. I can't see anything. All right, give me one second here. So sex, huh? I don't usually talk about it, I just do it. But, uh... So sex or chocolate? I'm gonna make you all like sex in just about seven minutes here. Why is sex better than chocolate? Well, because first, sex came first. Literally, I mean, we're all here, right? We got here somehow. Look at the famous band, Sexual Chocolate. Sex, once again, came before chocolate. Sex brings on good dreams and, good, and a good night's sleep, where chocolate is filled with caffeine and causes insomnia. Look at the charismatic singer 
Jonathan Davis of the band Corn, who sang, all day long, I dream about sex, not chocolate. Thank you. <laughs> sex keeps you fit and it burns calories, while chocolate is known to make people moody and fat. And I'll be honest, I like moody and fat men. <laughs> Sex keeps, <laughs> sex keeps their hearts pumping, while chocolate will just add to their already diabetic state. I'm sorry. Sex also makes you caring. Nobody cares if you finish that last piece of chocolate. But everyone cares if you finish during sex. <laughs> Sex brings love, while chocolate brings on frequent urination. I'll tell you this, I never fell in love with my Milky Way bar, but I've fallen in love with a man's Milky Ways. Not frequent urinations. Sex brings us life. While chocolate can bring us death. Remember the chocolate, the, sorry, the cake called death by chocolate. I never, I'm sorry. I never rocked my baby Ruth bar to bed, but I have rocked my lovely little son to sleep at night. Sex can also make you famous. What would have happened if Kim Kardashian and Ray J just sat there eating chocolate? Nobody wants a break from sex, let's be honest. But you have to have a break from chocolate, otherwise you're going to get really heavy, probably get pimples, and become extremely cranky. They even put it in their own advertising. Look at Twix, they're always saying, give me a break. <laughs> Lastly, I cannot have chocolate inside me. <laughs> You guys are a bunch of perverts because I'm massively allergic to chocolate. I cannot ingest it. Oh, no. um, but I could go into anaphylactic shock if I do have chocolate. But during sex, I could get nicely choked out to a good, <laughs> wonderful <laughs> orgasm. And that's pretty much all my reasons why sex is better than chocolate. Thank you. All right, do we have any questions for our debaters? Anybody? Question? Yeah, bring it. If you were Charlie and Charlie and the factor, Charlie. <laughs> Who, who's this to? Both? I want to, I want this question for both people. Okay. okay. See here, you got you got the golden ticket, and you're Charlie and the Charlie factory. <laughs> and like your grandpa was fucking slacking out for like years. <laughs> All of a sudden this motherfucker can just like jump out of bed and like go to the chocolate factory but like he was bedridden and he couldn't even bring any bread home all this fucking time. What would you do? What would either of you do? Okay, so if your grandfather could jump out of bed. That's my grandfather. So what that's would you do? That's the guy that so, picked me up. And so what would you do in that situation? 
If you jumped out of bed. Uh, you asked the question. You might have made a joke, but it's a question. What would you do? I don't know. If I'd your grandfather could suddenly, after years, in the in the pursuit of chocolate, jump out of bed after he'd been lame and... I'd try to hook him up, man. Hook him up. I would tell him how great sex is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd tell my grandfather. Okay. We have another question. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Chocolate. Have either of you had orgasm from chocolate? No, because I'd probably I'd be dead because I'm allergic, and that would just win my whole debate because sex would definitely have been better. Yeah, sex would definitely be better. <laughs> orgasm from chocolate? It's not an orgasm that you get from chocolate. It's something better. Okay. I would argue that I would argue that Matthew Munoz, when he took his big dump, had a euphemistic <laughs> orgasm from chocolate, but that's entirely a different debate. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Have either of you orgasm from sex? Have either of you orgasm from sex? I think that's uh, yes. <laughs> yes, okay. They both nodded yes. Alright, All right. and the one last, yes. I just received some pretty good news. They combined chocolate and sex and told black people to try it. <laughs> They combine chocolate and sex. That's not a question, but it's a great breaking news break. Not for us white guys, but it's okay. I support you. I'm with you. All right, Mr. Hickey. Oh, we've got one. Okay, not a question. Just a question, please. Say again? And all the, all the theories everyone's talking about here apply to dark chocolate the same as milk chocolate. That's is dark chocolate the same as milk well, I'm, chocolate? I'm, I'm actually, that's very important that you uh, are aware of this distinction, sir. Yeah. Because although milk chocolate and dark chocolate are chocolate, white chocolate is not chocolate. It's cocoa butter that's been wiped up. What about the dark chocolate? Dark chocolate is actually better for you. It's more antioxidant rich and it's the healthier chocolate. And the, the, if you are looking for a chocolate that's healthier, look for, instead of sugar as the main ingredient, cocoa butter is the main ingredient. Yes, and actually, as we found out, dark chocolate, breaking news. Much better for you. Yeah, right? Okay. All right. She's got Snickers. <laughs> Donald Hickey, chocolate sex, which is the best? Oh, you've got a question. Okay. Jesus Christ. David, do you have another one of those Snickers? But Janine, are you single? Yes, our judge describes in one quick phrase toxic masculinity and everything wrong in our society today. Thank you, thank you. All right, so. Do you have a winner, sir? Oh, boy. Could you feed me or fuck me, Donald? Which is it? Uh, I'm, I'm not that good of a cook, so I'm going to go with Janine on this one. Janine! 